Welcome to Thomasville Insights with the City of Thomasville. On the podcast, we'll talk to experts on everything from Thomasville history and events to daily operations and city business, all while having some fun in the process. We're your host, Sarah Baggett. And Ricky Zambrano. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, Ricky, how are you? Great, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm so glad that it's October and I think the fall weather is coming. Football has started up. It's a good time. Yes, it it went from 95 to 92. (laughs) All right. You might be right about that. (laughs) Well, we have a wonderful show today. Who's our first guest? Well, listen, before our first guest, I wanted to say happy birthday. To who? To you and to me because it's our fifth episode. It's our fifth birthday. (laughs) Happy anniversary slash birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, you know, we we do have, with that chill in the air, we do have a great episode because that chill sometimes brings some spine-tingling sensations because of Halloween. (laughs) And to get our show started, we have Corporal Crystal Parker to give us some Halloween safety tips. Corporal Parker, thank you so much for being here. It's a well-documented fact that fall is my absolute favorite time of the year, and Halloween happens to fall this month. I can't wait. Are you looking forward to it? Yes, it's always a really exciting time of year. We look forward to all the festivities and seeing the kids, and, um, you know, of course, the the change in weather is is always a a plus as well. You never know what you're going to get down here. I've had Halloweens where it's 90 degrees and Halloweens where it's 50, so we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, we never really know, do we? You you (laughs) might dress for cool weather in the morning, and then by the afternoon, you're you're wishing you'd worn a t-shirt or something. So. Well, um, speaking of Halloween, I think you're here to share with us some safety tips for trick-or-treaters. Can you share that with us? Absolutely. Yeah, um, every year, you know, we try to go around all the different schools and get our school resource officers to communicate with the kids in their schools about some safety tips and safety safety ideas to keep in mind while they're trick-or-treating. And so... Um, first, I would say, you know, obviously it's it's safer to be in a group. So if you if you have friends that that you want to go trick or treating with, we would definitely uh, suggest that, um, you know, there should be a parent involved. These kids shouldn't be out running around by themselves. These days, it's just not safe, and so we we would prefer that they be supervised by an adult. Um, if they collect candy, we want to have the adults take a look at that candy first, make sure that it hasn't been tampered with. We haven't really seen anything like that, but the, the possibility is always there. So it's always a safe idea to have an adult check the candy before the kids eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, they should be wearing a costume that's easy to see. So we would re- recommend that it have some kind of reflection material on it. So whether that be a type of reflective tape or possibly a bright colored costume. Those are much easier to see when the sun sets and it's dark outside. Um, Along those same lines, it might be a good idea to give your kids a flashlight so that they are easier, um, they're more easily seen by motor vehicle drivers that are that are riding around at the same time that the kids are trick-or-treating but it also gives the added benefit of them being able to see if they're about to step off a curb or if there's a hole in the ground or somewhere where they might trip. So um, you know, along with the light, you know, their costume should be easy to move in. You don't want to give them something that they can't even, you know, walk around walk <laughs> or, or, you know, if their mask is, is so, um, you know, a mask that obscures their eyes, you don't want to have something like that because you don't want them running into things or stepping out into traffic or 
being unable to see what's in front of them. That's so right. We want those nights to be fun, scary, not real scary. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, you want to, you want to set them up for success basically. So you give them a good costume that's easy to see in the dark, um, you know, make sure that they know, um, not to go inside any houses or anything like that. You know, they should have the people come to them at the doorway. Don't approach houses that aren't lit up. You know, those are typically people that are not participating in the festivities. So, um, you know, if you keep an eye out for all those things, then it's, it's you know, you're going to have a good and safe evening and the kids will have a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I know for me, it's always fun to watch them having a good time. I really enjoy that. And as long as they're being safe about it and we're doing everything that we can to help them stay safe, I think it's going to be a really great year despite COVID. Corporal Parker, these are great tips and tricks for trick-or-treaters. Are there any other safety tips you'd like to share? Yeah, uh, one other thing just to keep in mind is throughout the whole day, you know, you're going to have kids of different ages and different neighborhoods and at different businesses and things like that, um, walking around and being out uh, more than they normally would. And so we'd just like to remind all of our motoring public to um, be mindful of that. Stay off of your phones when you're in the car. Keep your eyes on the road. Slow down a little bit. It never hurts. You know, we just want to um, we want to make it as safe as possible for everybody who's out enjoying the day and, and enjoying their festivities. So um, if you could just just keep an eye extra eye out for those kids, everybody should have a really great time. Those are wonderful tips. Thank you so much for sharing them and have a happy Halloween. Thank you. Happy Halloween. Sarah, that was a lot of helpful information uh, from Corporal Parker. Uh, we hope that the families will, will listen to it and take those pieces of advice. Uh, but we're going to change topics here. Uh, we've got another special guest. Wonderful. Who do we have next? We have Kenny Thompson, our city planner, and he's going to discuss with us the Remington streetscape and our ongoing parks assessment. Sounds good. Let's get into it. Kenny, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. All right. Thank you for having me. So today we're going to talk a little bit about some big projects we have coming up. And first, I want to start with the upcoming parks assessment. So can you tell us what is a parks assessment? So yeah, No, that's a great question. So uh, a parks assessment is really a way of looking at the park system of our city in a very holistic way. So it's not, um, it's not really looking at any one particular park, um, but it's really um, going through a... Uh, really kind of a, a large endeavor similar to what we went through with our comprehensive plan of, uh, of looking at all of our parks uh, in a very uh, systematic way and uh, really seeing how they're being used, um, if there's anything that we're missing, if there's any uh, type of, uh, you know, I guess, type of use um, that, we're, that we're missing or could be included in the parks. And the intent is to set a vision um, for all of our parks in the city and all of our recreation over the next 10 years and how we can um, how we can continue to improve our parks and improve the quality of life uh, for our residents and our visitors. So, is that why a parks assessment is necessary for that long-term planning and kind of see where the gaps are? That's correct. So, yes. Yeah, so, there's uh, there are actually two parts to a parks assessment. Uh, the first part uh, would be a needs assessment, which um, which is where uh, there's a lot of public input. Um, we will be asking people how they use parks, um, if there's anything that they're missing, what they would like to see in their parks. Um, and then the second part of this would actually be a set of recommendations uh, that would include uh, improvements to the parks um, that we could actually look to find ways to, um, to put in the budget and, um, 
and actually include these park park improvements um, in a um, really in a more um, kind of in a more streamlined way over the next 10 years than than what's been done in the past. I'm glad to hear there's opportunities for public engagement. That's always exciting. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to make the assumption that you're doing that. You're the one out at the parks doing the assessment. So we are. Um, we're actually we're uh, we will be uh, we will be very hands on with the assessment. We've hired a team, Brandstead, Brandstetter Carroll Incorporated, BCI. Um, they are um, they uh, they're they're a team. They have uh, nationwide experience doing parks master plans for communities. Um, uh, a very impressive team of, uh, of folks who will be in town over the next six to nine months, um, on and off, um, and they will be uh, they will be working with this. They will be leading the public engagement, public involvement, and um, and and ultimately um, the final um, you know, you giving us the final assessment for the parks plan. And Kenny, when do we anticipate this project being wrapped up? So uh, the you know, to do a parks master plan is about a nine month long process. Um, we're looking to see our final recommendations, final plan coming through from them, probably um, by the spring of 2022. Um, but there will be public involvement and a lot of the input that uh, that we expect to see later this year. Well, speaking of large projects, we've also got the Remington Avenue streetscape uh, on the horizon. So tell us a little bit about that project. So sure. So uh, so this is a project that's been going on uh, for, for for a little while, um, but it, it really began uh, back a couple of years ago with a a major public input um, uh, endeavor to really um, to really help to reimagine the Remington Avenue streetscape um, and uh, and ways to make it uh, both uh, more accessible but safer um, and more attractive uh, for the community. So uh, so this uh, you going through this this input process, we were able to come up with a, a concept plan uh, for the street, which includes a trail connection um, all the way from um, over from from Cherokee Lake Park in the high school. All the way out to Remington Park. Um, there would be sidewalks on the street. Um, it would also include um, a roundabout at the intersection of of Remington and Kern, and uh, you know, really, um, you know, really adding a lot of safety features, um, which is what we heard from the community that making the street uh, more attractive, making it safer uh, for all modes of transportation, um, were really some key key elements. So we're we we heard the we heard the public, um, and as they mentioned that, and we were working to incorporate all of these into the final design. So as you mentioned, the public—that's uh, always a key part of a lot of these projects, uh, not just in this one, but projects such as South Pine Tree uh, Boulevard as well. Uh, what are some of the steps taken to gather that input from the community? With the Remington Avenue project, we went through. Um, I'd say uh, a few different few different methods of public input. Uh, we had uh, we had uh, public meetings out actually on um, at uh, on on the street. We found um, I guess there was the um, the emergency services center that's uh, that's out on Remington Avenue. So we had numerous public input um, kind of sessions. Uh, you know, we had uh, you know, we we would go through mapping exercises with the residents. Um, we sent out letters to everyone who lived in the general area, inviting them to these. And we also did um, something that we call a discovery walk, um, which is a really interesting, um, really, really interesting way to to get some firsthand uh, information on the street where we actually took uh, took residents out uh, or took the community members out and drove them um, and walked along the street. Uh, and uh, during that, going through some exercises to note some of the different ways. 
um, different, different issues that people had, uh, we were able to, to actually capture that information firsthand. And all of this public input um, ultimately helped, um, helped in, um, in informing the final plan that, we, uh, that, that, that was prepared for this. So as we wrap up uh, this segment, uh, where do we stand with the Remington Avenue streetscape at this moment? So the Remington Avenue streetscape project is in the final stages of engineering and design. Uh, so after the concept plan was approved, uh, we moved forward with working with an engineering consultant to actually draft a set of engineering documents that could be constructed from. Um, those documents are in the final review phase now. Um, so after, um, after those are completed and we actually have a final cost estimate for this, um, the process will move forward with, um, with final approval from City Council prior to construction. Kenny, it sounds like we have a lot of exciting things on the horizon. A lot of pieces to this puzzle are finally coming together. So that sounds uh, like some stuff to look forward to for the community and for the city. So no, absolutely. These are things that, uh, that have been... Uh, have been on the mind of the community um, and uh, and us for a while, and we are uh, we are glad to see them come to fruition. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of that information with our listeners. All right. Well, thank you all for having me. Thank you so much to Kenny Thompson for being in the studio with us today. That was a lot of good information about these upcoming projects. That was, and what's really uh, important to take back from that is the amount of public input that goes into these projects. That's exactly right. There is a lot of public engagement and involvement in these. The city always wants to listen and be transparent with the public, and it's good to know that that's happening in a lot of these large-scale projects. Speaking of projects, we have one more guest with another discussion on a project that's nearing its completion. Oh yeah? Who's that? That is our newly promoted city engineer, Todd Powell. Todd, thank you uh, for spending some time with us today. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. And, uh, you know, we'd like to get started with just tell us about the South Pine Tree uh, Boulevard project. Uh, you know, wh what, what was the initial goal of it and, and when did it all begin? Uh, it's a project over 3.4 miles. Uh, it actually began back in 2017 and they had discussions back and forth about uh, how they wanted it. The county had plans for a three lane all the way through from West Jackson to Magnolia and the, the city actually received a deed to the road so they were just some discussions about uh, putting it in as a two-lane road with three turn lanes and that was a final option agreed upon and uh, it just involves resurfacing from West Jackson to Old Monticello Road around about at Magnolia Avenue and South Pine Tree intersection and also sidewalk from Magnolia to West Jackson Street. It sounds like a project this large probably has a lot of phases and a lot of different goals. Can you tell us what milestones we've reached with the project so far? Sure. We have uh, installed the stormwater drainage at the West Jackson turn lane. We've widened that road, put in the curb and gutter there. And also we've installed the curb and gutter at MLK and the State Hospital Drive, as well as the sidewalk all the way from West Jackson Street to the roundabout. Um, we are currently working on the stormwater drainage, just an additional leg at the stormwater drainage uh, for the stormwater drainage at the roundabout. We have all the other stormwater drainage installed there. We installed a stormwater drainage to replace two leaking 36 inch pipes at the Longleaf intersection. 
So we want to get all the utility work done before we go and resurface it so we don't damage the road again. Uh, we had the water department to replace a water main from Mill Pond to Old Monticello and another contractor replaced another water main from Mill Pond to Magnolia. Also the permitting, we had a lot of people don't believe how many permits you have on these projects, but you have permitting through the Corps of Engineers for wetland permits at two locations and we were able to work that out where we didn't have to do any kind of a mitigation credits or purchase those. Oh, that's great. Because we were under the threshold. Mm -hmm. We also had permitting through the Georgia Environmental Protection Division where we had to file up a set of plans with them and get approval on all our erosion control structures. So there's a lot of behind the scenes work that maybe the public doesn't necessarily right. see, but it's very important. And you right. bring up a good point of doing that utility work before the road is paved so we don't right. have to pave it, pull it all back up again. Makes a lot of sense. That's right. a lot of coordination. It is. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, we were able to do the work in-house when we downsized the project based on the public input. Very good. So we heard that public feedback and we kind of took it and, and ran with it. That's great. Right. Yeah. In the engineering department, they were very good and hands-on at getting this taken care of. And we saved a lot of money by doing it in-house. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, two points that, that I hear is when we do in-house, like you said, it's a savings of money, uh, right. which is very important. Uh, oftentimes we see a price tag and we think we're just going to roll with that price tag, spend every dollar of it, but obviously once there's a price tag, we're focused on seeing what else we can do to continue to reduce that price tag. It's not as simple as here's the price tag, we're going to roll with that number and that's what we're going to spend. Right. Um, so I, I did have one, one question from, from what you said. Uh, you mentioned the roundabout. Um, can you explain to us what the benefit is of a roundabout in the intersection of Magnolia and South Pine Tree? Okay, uh, my predecessor, Mr. Newsom, he always said that this was one of the things that GDOT wanted to have as part of uh, the funding on this project to grant the funding. And uh, I looked at the GDOT roundabout design guide and they see them as being the most environmental friendly ways to handle intersections. Uh, they've installed one at Moultrie. There's one already in Monticello. They also say they've re reduced fuel consumption, uh, wear and tear on brakes, and they also improve safety for children crossing the roads. That's amazing. I didn't know any of that, but right. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense though. I mean, improved safety, improved environmental protection, those all sound like wins to me. Right, <laughs> they are. Yeah, and I've actually driven uh, around the one in Moultrie. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've I've been able to see the difference in some areas where, you know, it was it wasn't there, and then the construction came about and it was there. And Moultrie's one of those that I I've taken that drive through that roundabout and in that area, and and it does make a difference. Uh, I think it kind of also makes our area a little bit more industrialized, a little big city feel with a roundabout, you know, kind of <laughs> right. a little European feel to it. Oh, maybe. there you go. Yeah. We're getting like fancy like being in with France. That. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Todd, before you go, is, is there any other parts of the project that we should be uh, aware about that are still coming about? You did mention the, um, the, the paving is the, is, the, is the end of the project, but are there right. other, any other small points that we should be uh, seeing in the next couple months? Sure. Uh, pending any weather delays, they are hoping to finish with a roundabout around mid-October. And then we will start with the actual resurfacing of the road. And that will take place from uh, West Jackson Street to Old Monticello. And once that's done, you will have the shoulder building of the roads. 
to bring that up to grade because we're putting down actually two layers of asphalt. It'll be a, a structural OGI, which is open graded inner layer, which gives it more strength and then a, a, another topping layer on top of that. So you'll have the road raised up a bit and you will need to build up shoulders and grass those. Uh, then you do the striping and then you do, you put, you install some traffic loops there mm -hmm. at the intersections of Old Monticello and West Jackson Street. So we still got a little ways to go, but it sounds like it's right. going to be beautiful and well worth it when it's right. done. And usually when it's the more resurfacing starts, uh, I mean, it usually goes pretty quickly. You have problems with the weather. Uh, <laughs> they've had like rain for two months, I know, this summer. There's <laughs> been a lot of rain. Right. It's it been a wet been a lot summer, of rain, yes. and, and thankfully we're, we're kind of getting past that stage as we sit here in October. So, um, you know, we're getting very close for all of this to come about and, uh, see a brand new project in a very important area of the of the city. Todd, well, thank you very much for uh, spending some time with us today. Sure. Uh, the information that you provided is very important for the community to better understand the project. Um, you know, this is going to be a great project when it's all said and done. So uh, thank you again, and uh, we wish you the best of luck with these last stages in the project. I appreciate that, Ricky. Todd provided us with some very important information about the project. Uh, it seems like we are very close to the end. <laughs> it does. It looks like it's been a long time coming and a lot of work, but it sounds like things are moving right along. Sarah, do you hear that? Oh my gosh, I do. What is that? I think it is... The Budget Minute! It's the Budget Minute! Hi, this is Sherry Kane, and I'm here with this month's Budget Minute. This month, we're going to talk about capital improvement projects, these are projects that will result in a permanent and lasting change to our community that enhances overall value, prolongs usefulness, or adapts something to a new use. Some examples of past capital improvement projects are water and sewer infrastructure projects, street resurfacing and sidewalk projects, and also large vehicle purchases like ladder trucks. Other capital improvement projects may be larger in scope with a greater impact to the community such as the Weston Park Improvement Project, the West Jackson Streetscape, and the construction of the Ritz Amphitheater and Park, to name a few. All of these types of projects are similar in that they are both very extensive and expensive, requiring many man hours and large amounts of funding to be completed. Capital projects may be funded in a variety of ways, including through local option sales tax, special local option sales tax, or SPLOS, grant funding resources, and revenues from public utilities. Well, that's it for this month's Budget Minute. Stay tuned next month. We've got lots more information to bring you. Sarah, before we get going, we do want to uh, give a quick shout out to some promotions we recently had. Did you hear about them? I'm so excited for you to share them with us. Yes, we uh, had some well-deserved promotions. Uh, Cheryl Seeley and Chris White were promoted to assistant city managers. We had Michael Reddick promoted to IT director and Todd Powell, as we had mentioned earlier, promoted to city engineer. Well, how wonderful for them and very well-deserved. Absolutely so. Well, changing gears here a little bit, we heard the budget minute earlier and we wanted to remind our customers that budget billing is now open. Budget billing allows customers to pay a levelized amount for their utility bills each month, which can be very helpful for personal budgeting. Enrollment is now open and will be open through October 31st. To learn more about the program, visit thomasville.org or call us at 229-227-7001. 
Tara, before we wrap up, make sure you take your winter coat with you because remember that fall weather is on its way. It's getting very cold out there. It's dropped down to 90 degrees, uh, but it's been a great show. And it's been, uh, again, a hoot of a time being here with you. <laughs> well, listen, Ricky, it doesn't matter how hot it is outside. I'm drinking that pumpkin spice latte. It was good to see you today. I enjoyed all of our guests and I'm looking forward to our show next month. You've been listening to Thomasville Insights with the City of Thomasville. The show is produced by Austin Reams, Sherry Kane, Ricky Zambrano, and Sarah Baggett. The editor and sound technician is Austin Reams. The show's music is by Pond5.com. To learn more about the City of Thomasville, visit thomasville.org or follow us on Facebook. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening app so you won't miss an episode. Thank you for listening.